Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Are you a moxie maniac? Do you like the idea of a 5K run on a New England morning followed by a lobster fest? Then the Moxie Festival is the event for you. Since 1982, Libson, Maine has been home to this vigorous celebration of Moxie. When is it? Why, the second weekend in July, of course. It's always there, so no matter which year you visit, you'll always know right where to find us. Moxie, find us no matter when. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Yo, constant readers. And today we are back with our Patreon selection series, picking up with Jason Keene's selection, 112263, reading through part one, and CM is leading our discussion. CM, take it away. Jason, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I love this book, and I've read it like, Three times? I was just about to ask, because uh, <laughs> in preparation for this, I think you said you would listen to the audiobook multiple times <laughs> yes. through already? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have either of you read it before this? I read it. Uh, it's one of the few that I, I've read off podcast, but since starting the mm. podcast. Mm. Uh, and the reason I remember reading it so well is because it was while I was reading it that uh, my car got vandalized a shit ton. And like, and I kept thinking, ah, the past is fighting back <laughs> the whole time. Nice. <laughs> uh, I, years ago, was working uh, crappy. I think it was right around the time it came out. Mm-hmm. I was working an awful data entry job and listening to dozens and dozens of audiobooks. Yeah. And this was <laughs> one of them. Which I love a job where you can listen to audiobooks, but it is not conducive to remembering anything about what happens <laughs> in the so, story. So, like, yeah. first time. <laughs> I, I remember the gist of it. Yeah. I remember thinking the ending was very odd, but we'll get there. <laughs> I remember liking a lot of it and being bored by a lot of it. Okay. So I'm excited to get, yeah. get deeper into it. Well, let's talk about what this book is about. It's about a guy, guys. <laughs> are you in love? And are, I love Are you Maine. falling in love with John F. Kennedy. <laughs> he travels back in time to stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy. A storyline that I can totally get behind because who among us hasn't had that conversation with your friends mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you? Yeah. <laughs> And And if the answer is no, you're kind of a bad person. (laughs) It's a friendship trap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we kick things off with Jake Epping, a recently divorced teacher in his 30s. He works at Lisbon High School in Lisbon Falls, Maine, and he teaches an adult English class on the side. And right away, we learn that Jake is not what you'd call a crying man. And that it's so interesting that yeah. he lists like the handful of things in his life that ever made him cry, like his mom dying, and then there was something else. His oh, dog his, died. Yeah, when his dog died. <laughs> but other than that, he doesn't cry, and his wife basically 
says he's like dead inside. Yeah, that was a real problem for his wife, Christy, who's now his ex-wife. And there's she's a recovering alcoholic. She's in AA. That's going to come up as the comments he makes, things he references Mm -hmm. from time to time. And Jake really disagrees with this assessment, Josh, as you said. And right now he is sitting down to grade some papers for his adult English class. Uh, Before we move on, I just want to say, like... I know we have a lot of book to go, <laughs> but the book 14 starts pages out. pages of notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part one. Um, we, we have a lot of book to go, but the book starting out with this story, the first thing that we learn about this guy is that he goes through this seemingly pretty rough divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then for the entire first part of the book, it does not factor in again. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't seem to have, he mentions it a couple times, but at no point do I get the sense that this is a guy like going through a rough time. He's like, I had a divorce and I'm sad about it. Well, because he's not a crying man. True. <laughs> it's just, I, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's also maybe unfair because of everything else that happens in a very oh, short yeah, period yeah. of time. It's like his bigger fish to fry than his ex-wife. But Also, I think it just serves to show us that he's a good candidate for what's about to happen because he's like no strings attached. And from what I remember, it also this is weirdly a romance. Yes, it's a love story. This is is the most like romance novel Stephen King book. Oh, it's probably why I've read it so many times. I do love the romance in this book. It also shows that it's part of him kind of going through the motions now because he talks about teaching adults and how he's kind of checked out from teaching adults because he grades more. uh, He uses the red pen to teach more than he does actual teaching because he doesn't find them as teachable. And him going through the motions is just the same way he's dealing with his divorce. Mm -hmm. Like he's not really Mm -hmm. getting into it. He's emotionally detached from like everything. Right. And so that also makes him a prime candidate. Yes. <laughs> I love which is so funny because of the love story angle, which we will get to probably mm. next episode. But so as you guys said, he wait, as I said, yes. He's sitting down <laughs> yeah. to grade some papers for his adult English class. A task I love how he sums up why this is not exciting for him anymore. Because he has three more to go. And then he thinks, okay, I can go home, get comfortable, and dive into a book without these, quote, sincere but poorly made things hanging over his head. (laughs) I love that description, especially being someone who teaches adults as well on the side. It's like, oh, I get that when you think you have expectations. And then you're like, please just tell me you learned. (laughs) (laughs) And it is that mindset he has when he pulls out the janitor's theme. And we're told right away that This is going to change Jake's life. The assignment was to write a paper about the day that changed your life. Would one of you like to describe what we get of the janitor's paper so far? Okay, I can't actually talk about how I feel about this whole plot line because (laughs) we'll stick to what we know right now. Okay. He, He reads this and it starts out with the sentence, It wasn't the day that changed my life, but a night. The night my father murdered my mother two brothers and hurt me pretty bad. And I put my sister in a coma. Yes. And it's knowing that you're going to get more of this mm-hmm. because like, why bring it up right at the start mm-hmm. of the book? It it's obviously important. Yeah. And more important than Jake's ex-wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it's 
very intriguing because when it goes back later in this section to more of Mm -hmm. the story, you almost don't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but that, but the, you started off with the worst part. What is the rest of this about? And it's just gruesome detail about what happened that night. But yeah, like you said, we only know that his dad killed a bunch of them, put his sister in a coma and she died. Have like never coming mm-hmm. out of that coma three years later. And we we get a line about him crawling under the bed with blood running in his eyes and down his throat, which is rough. Would the experience of hearing about the story change for you if you'd known at this point that it happened in Derry? Ooh. I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> it was like, I remember when it finally is revealed that that's where it happened and having that the first time I read it being like, oh, fuck, of course it happened in Derry. <laughs> that colors it. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it, it makes it different if you've read it i feel like oh, yeah. it makes it different jake admits to himself that he did consider the janitor to be a little slower than the rest and now he understands the reason for that he understands why he has a limp why the kids all call him hop toed harry and jake just has a new appreciation for the efforts that harry went through to write this and he talks about you know, the the heavy hand it's written with, the way he has this little squiggle at the bottom of each Y, just how the ink has bled through the paper. It's, I don't know, it mm-hmm. the visceral description of the physicality of the paper has kind of always stuck with me too. It sh- it's, adds how hard Harry worked on yeah. it, you know? Like, and for everything we, we get from him, when we finally get details that are in the paper, because right now we don't get that part of it mm-hmm. yet like it's a well-written story and it had to be a very hard story for him to tell yeah and jake does something that we just learned he really never gets to do well first of all he put the red pen down like instantly mm-hmm. because halfway through the first page he starts to cry which is why we open with that first sentence i've never been a crying man which i thought was kind of cool mm-hmm. jake gives him an a and then he's like you know what fuck this and he <laughs> writes a plus next to it so he gives him an A plus because of how it evoked something in him, which is what good writing should do. Mm-hmm. And we end this opening with a line that I didn't realize till this time around and I'm reading it the most critically I've ever read it. A line that tells us exactly how things are going to shake out for Jake. And I dare anybody to be able to keep that like in your mind as you continue to read this. But he says he wishes that his ex-wife had been right and that he was emotionally blocked because Quote, everything that followed, every terrible thing flowed from those tears. It's such (laughs) a brutal thing to reread because you're like, wow, you told me. You told me right here and I didn't listen Mm -hmm. because I got sucked into the story. And with that introduction to Jake and his motivation, we are at our watershed moment, part one. It is Harry's graduation ceremony. And he's there alone because as we just found out, he doesn't have a family. And Jake is invited as Harry's person, and he's happy to do it, which I love this moment between them. Mm-hmm. I, I think Harry is terrific. Harry's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he goes to his GED ceremony. Uh, he invites him to Al's for uh, for a burger as a mm-hmm. congratulations. Uh, but the moment that really stands out is when the because he tells Jake that he's retiring at the end of the year. And a kid, you know, does an impression of him that's very unkind and taunts him. And Jake's about to step up to the kid and Harry stops him and he's and he says something to the effect of, 
I'm not somebody's I'm not responsible to be somebody's teachable moment. Yeah, because Jake's like, I am going to say something to him. Yeah. We got to teach these kids. And he's like, it's not my responsibility to be yeah. a teachable moment. I kind of like that. This I, I don't know how to feel about this. Not the, the moment itself, but King's view of modern society versus spoiler alert society in the 50s <laughs> because uh again spoiler this is a time travel story <laughs> and uh jake goes back to the 50s and the description of the 50s is so obviously colored by king's intense famously <laughs> uh extreme nostalgia for the 50s mm -hmm. I just think it's like in this moment, oh, it's the modern day. And this this school kid, this high school kid mm -hmm. is openly mocking a disabled person in front of a teacher. Mm -hmm. am, am I being am I, I being naive I, that I'm like, have you met kids today? <laughs> Maybe I just know good kids. But like, I feel like kids in high school today are overall much chiller than kids when even we were kids. Yeah. Man, I've been called a fucking bitch so much in the last two oh, years. Well, maybe I'm just <laughs> by kids who are seven years old. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being naive. You have a king problem where you're looking at the current world with this through rose colored glasses where kids are nice and they're all <laughs> demons Ben they're in, all yeah, in 50 years I'm gonna be like 2020 what a great no, no I'm not uh, but what yeah, a time I, to I, hit I the moral the high ground ugh it's, it's just an interesting moment because I've heard people of other groups make that same comment like I don't want to live my life every day teaching white people not to be racist is, sure. is what I hear often. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. Harry, okay, this part's really sad. Harry is telling Jake how much the A-plus means to him at the ceremony. And Jake's like, well, not, what are you going to do with yourself now that you're a high school graduate? And this is before he tells him he's retiring. And he his smile falters because he hasn't thought about that. He doesn't have to do anything with it. But he says he's going to go home, hang it up. Get a glass of wine and just admire it until bedtime, which does sound relaxing, but yeah. also just made me feel really sad. Well, I mean, it's a celebrating an achievement, you know? It just happens to yeah. be that it's sad because he's all alone. Yeah. And, and that's when Jake takes him out to Al's diner. And we learn a few things about Al and his diner here. Don't keep your stray cats around it. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's this... Uh, it's very old timey seeming diner. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite kind of restaurant. Uh, <laughs> yes. Any yeah. restaurant that looks kind of dirty and uh, <laughs> like shady, you know the food's going to be good. Yeah. But weirdly, everyone avoids it because the food's too cheap. The burgers, because this is 2011, and he's still selling burgers for under two bucks. Yeah. And oh, people are like, he could sell them for a couple more bucks it'd be fine yeah <laughs> uh and everyone calls his world famous fat burgers the cat burger yeah. because it, it's probably not cat but it can't be beef not at those prices yeah right. i i love that and i'm the kind of person who i'd be like hey al give me a cat burger mm. <laughs> we also find out that al al is a smoker because mm. he comes up to the table <laughs> actively smoking in 2011 I mention it because it's important later. And 
when he sees Harry's graduation cap and like understands what's going mm-hmm. on, he pays for their dinner and he takes a photo of Harry to hang up on his celebrity wall. I He's love that. Al's thoughtful and observant. I do have to say it is very rare we get a uh, King book where every character we have met is likable. <laughs> no wow, kidding. I didn't yeah. think about that. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> there shit. are no classic King characters where you're just like, oh my God, I hate this person and I can't wait for supernatural violence to happen to them. At least until we get to Derry. True. And <laughs> uh, Texas. So we jump forward two years from the graduation ceremony. It's the end of the school year. This is where he encounters Harry again. Jake is once again grading some papers. And as he's sitting there, he gets paged on the intercom because someone is calling him. It's Al Templeton from Al's Diner, who Jake just saw the night before for dinner. His voice is raspy and full of phlegm, so he's been possessed by tack. (laughs) (laughs) it's what maybe because the conversation is quite bizarre he asks him the the writing the goddamn writing Mm -hmm. in this book i love it so much because he asks him over the phone like if you know like hey something wrong and al says uh it came on pretty slow or pretty quick you could say both and they'd both be right and he's like (laughs) what the fuck does that mean jake won't understand anything al says for at least like 24 more Mm, hours Al wants him to come to the diner because he needs to talk to him. It's very, very urgent. And he agrees to meet up with him in a couple of hours when he's done grading. And we end this section with the reminder that this is all a huge mistake. (laughs) Because Jake thinks that if he'd known what the future held for him, he'd have acted on the flirtation that had been blooming between him and Gloria, the secretary of the school, before he left that day. Shoot your shot. We are at Al's diner. Would one of you describe what this place looks like? It, the, the place looks like it's closing. He's like, he's shutting the whole thing down. Al looks significantly older. His hair's gone from black to white. He's lost like 40 pounds. Mm. And the, there's just too much change for 24 hours. It's impossible. I love the suddenness of the reveal. Yeah. It is not like hidden. It is not yeah. kept from it. He opens the door and Jake goes, oh, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> and I, I love that just the middle of the day, bright sunshine. Mm-hmm. And this guy mm-hmm. comes out and he seems years older. And Al, like this, this little diner he has, he takes really good care of it. He he makes it special. That's it's a trailer and it's sitting on like cinder blocks, but he's covered them with flower beds and the sign on the door that usually says, welcome to Al's diner home of the fat burger now says closed and will not reopen due to illness. I want to eat at this place so bad. I do, right? I wanna, can we just get a burger? I forgot to eat <laughs> lunch before we I recorded. Didn't eat either. I'm Let's starving. Do it. <laughs> oh, this reminds me. Oh, I didn't on bring podcast, a towel. No, I have oh. it. What? Wait for it. Is this a surprise? It, it won't be a surprise once you know what it is, but it's a surprise <laughs> right now because you don't know. Well put. Thank you. I'm a wordsmith. <laughs> <laughs> so we in the studio, listeners, have started to have a talisman with us. The last oh, yeah. one was our map of Poplar Street from the Regulators, which we have several really nice cardstock copies of. That maybe people can get. And <laughs> now we have a yellow card. Okay. I, it took me a second. I was like, the fuck does that mean? Oh, right. The book. We'll get there. 
And we'll take a picture for you guys so you can see what we're staring at as we talk. Because it's not each other. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as you guys said, Al is quite the sight to see. He looks deathly ill. His eyes are murky. And he's also missing teeth. And he invites Jake inside pretty cryptically, telling him that he's probably the only one who will listen to him. And he's going to have questions. <laughs> and Al is going to answer as many as he can. For the love of God, keep him to a minimum because he doesn't have much voice or strength left. And with that, they go inside the diner. I do love that essentially the Al's argument boils down to shut up and just look at me for a second. <laughs> yeah. take, take all this in. <laughs> Make realize, your questions count. Right, yeah. <laughs> As Al starts talking, Jake notes some strange discrepancies in what he's saying. Would one of you like to take us through this conversation? <laughs> yeah, I, at first, I mean, immediately, he's like, the as he's look taking in his appearance, the thing that stands out the most is he seems to have lost 30 pounds, and he saw him less than 24 hours ago. And he's like, that can't be right. And then, as Al's talking, he, he mentions that it's lung cancer. He says that he has he has lung cancer, advanced lung cancer, inoperable. And it makes a lot of sense because he's been smoking for 50 years and mm -hmm. he started when he was 11. But the math doesn't add up because last year Jake knows that he turned 57. <laughs> so there's some missing years. <laughs> yeah. Andy said he got he developed lung cancer. He started coughing seven months ago in May. But seven months ago from this moment. Is not May, it's December. And Jake says something about that, and I'll just sort of dismiss hey, it. I love He's that. He's like, shut up, I'm telling the story. <laughs> he waves his hand and is like, I know, I know, he did sh shut up. I promise it'll make sense. He also got the diagnosis through x-ray, and that's when he decided to come back. And Jake's like, come back? He's like, yeah, from my vacation, dipshit. <laughs> but it wasn't a vacation. Jake's like, I just saw you last night. I don't know where you were. He is struggling to process all of this because it's complete nonsense. And Al's like, okay, look at me the way women look at each other. Like, basically judge how I look. Which, quick aside, this is just such a, <laughs> it's an weird. old stereotype. We don't do that. <laughs> now tell me I'm the prettiest in the room. I'm the prettiest in the room. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so this level, of <laughs> this level of scrutiny causes Jake to realize that he is seeing something impossible. Not only is Al somehow tan, he has also obviously aged in a way that you can't fake. He's got an old man neck waddle. Yeah. yeah. He didn't eat a strange pie or anything. <laughs> Older. <laughs> Older. <laughs> and he has an odd request. He's sort of done talking to Jake for the moment because there's something that he just has to show him that's gonna I don't want to say like answer all his questions bring up a million more questions yes. and possibly blow his mind out the back <laughs> <Praise his brain. laughs> no that's later in Texas oh, oh no oh no so sorry. so sorry too <laughs> so soon <laughs> okay so he's he wants him to go into the pantry and as he's leading there, he's explaining that he initially opened his diner in Auburn about a year in. He ended up moving here because there are too many other diners near there. And what's in the pantry wasn't there when he was in Auburn. So Jake's like, okay, I'm going to humor him. He opens the door and what does he see? A, a, Supplies. Yeah. <laughs> a supply closet. And Al's like, okay, 
yeah, this is a normal pantry, but do you smell that? And he smells sulfur and and just dirty air. From the mill, Al says. And Jake's like, the mill that's been closed for decades? <laughs> it burned down back in the 80s? Yeah. And then Al robs Jake. <laughs> but only temporarily. Yeah. yeah the, the fact that Jake's just like, yeah, all right. Uh, he says, you have to give me yeah. your wallet, all the money you have, your watch, anything electronic. You have to give to me right now. And then you have to go into my supply And then go in the pantry. <laughs> And Jake entertains this, even though he's getting kind of impatient at this point, because it's all so weird. And he's like, okay, Al, how long is this going to take? <laughs> I fucking love This is where shit. I start to love the book, because like the first time you read this, you're like, what in the actual hell, hell is, is going, going on? on? So Al answers him. He's like, it, it'd take as long as you want. It'll only take two minutes. It what always the fuck takes does that two mean? Minutes. It always takes two it's minutes. When he starts, it's so good. When he starts giving the like basic rules, yeah. when he starts <laughs> going through the conversation with the yellow card man, is when I'm like, okay, I'm in. Because he says, go through, go in there. You're gonna come out. There's gonna be no. It's everything's gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. Although there's gonna be a guy with a yellow card. And this is the exact conversation you are going to have. Can you give him a 50 cent piece? And say, I can't spare a buck, but here's half a rock. And he, my favorite part is he says, he'll say, who are you? What are you doing here? He might even say, you're not the guy I saw last time, but I don't think so. (laughs) I fucking love it. Time travel stuff later, we can get to, but this makes no sense for what we know right now, Mm -hmm. because if every time is a reset, which we find out, why would he say you're not the same guy anyway? Okay. I, so I really love the way everything is nonsense and confusion, Mm -hmm. and it leads you to all of these really strange moments. And it's, to me, it was so intriguing that I I read this every time like I'm eating a meal and I haven't eaten all day. Like I have to do it so quickly, even though I can just stop and take my time. It's, it's there, There's this feeling of urgency I feel like the writing gives you that you're just mm. kind of like pushing your way through to figure out what. Yeah, you <laughs> want answers too. Yeah. And Jake is starting to think that Al's definitely sick, but also probably super crazy. And Al pulls the dying man's request man, look at me, I'm dying, just do it for me, and gets him to finally stop asking questions and just go with it. Gives him the all clear, reminds him of the yellow card man, which is an intriguing mystery we won't get to for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Al refers to this as the rabbit hole. Which I love. So Al warns Jake that the there's something different about the yellow card man, and he thinks it's his proximity to the rabbit hole that makes him different, but he's not sure because he doesn't know the rules either. He's just mm-hmm. piecing things together. I um, love that. I, I love that for this entire first four chapters, for it almost all being just exposition, yes. this is all set up. Yeah. Yeah. This is just explaining what the rules it's are. It's so exciting. But they, we haven't yeah, had chapter two yet. They yeah. do a great job of like making it interesting and not just mm-hmm. be like, okay, here's mm-hmm. how the universe works. Yeah. And I also love that he's like, these are the rules. Why that doesn't make sense. And his answer is, yeah, I know. Fuck it. But it happens. So right. deal with it. It's, like, it's don't, all... don't think about it too much. Just enjoy the story. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So Jake is in the pantry. He's facing the back of it per Al's instructions. And he's like, Al, 
you psycho, I'm just going to run into the back of the wall when he takes a step down. I love that. Except he doesn't because there are no steps but, down. But he does. But he doesn't. But he does. He looks down <laughs> and he can see his foot on the surface floor. Yeah. But also feels it step, which is, I try to make my brain it think of, and Mine it just will. won't. I love It's yes, really cool. Because you're yeah. like, okay, how would it feel to, to see and know your leg is straight? You yeah. are standing up straight. But also, but also, yeah, it's <laughs> it's so cool. Makes yeah, my it brain feels go sideways. So bad. Like That's why he has to close his eyes. Yeah, Elle tells yeah. him, close your eyes and you'll be okay. Keep going. And once again, we end this section with foreshadowing that this is all a mistake. Mm. When Jake thinks in response to Al saying, go on, God help me, I did. <laughs> and we open the next chapter with Jake having closed his eyes, walked through the pantry and into sunshine. As his as he's walking down these stairs, there's a moment where there's like a pop. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there's sun hitting his eyelids. It's so rad. It's, it's very cool. And when he opens his eyes, he is standing outside on a sunny morning in 1958. Eight. Yep. And the mill is in full operation. He turns and Al's diner is not there, which freaks him out, which I would panic too. I'd be mm-hmm. like, oh no, what did Al do to me? When he hears Al's voice come to him from what seems like a great distance, telling him to look around a little bit and come back. We don't have to discuss this, but I just want to put it in here. How can Al talk to him if only two minutes pass? Thank you. Okay. That means he could only communicate for a maximum of two minutes before any messages would stop coming through. <sighs> Time travel. Uh. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, as much sense <laughs> as, much as, sense as any of it. And we get to meet the yellow card man. One of you want to describe him to us? I love that he's so distracted by all this that he's already forgotten and damn near <laughs> trips over the yellow card man. Who, who gives him the, uh, who the fuck are you? And he panics and forgets he has the 50 cent piece and they're like oh shit yeah <laughs> does the the whole bit yeah but yeah the uh, i don't remember how he's described but that he's just like standard dirty scrawny transient dirty, yeah. with a, a yellow card sticking out of his hat and who seems very drunk yes yeah seems seems <laughs> is he we don't know he, we don't see any bottles he doesn't have any bottles around him Jake does something I will never do if I ever see one. He touches a Plymouth Fury. (laughs) As he's passing through the parking lot, it's just like a touchstone. Like he's like, okay, this is real. Mm -hmm. And he goes to the Kennebec Fruit Company. Which I looked up. Real place. I also, Uh, I I looked up Moxie because I didn't know what that was. And I didn't make any segues. My notes just, Moxie is the first bottled carbonated beverage made and it's kind of like root beer. Hmm. Okay, this is interesting though because as of 2005, it is the official soft drink of the state of Maine. It was created by Dr. Augustine Thompson in the late 1800s and touted as having so many health benefits. And there is a Moxie Museum in Maine and the Moxie Festival that's referenced mm. here in a minute is <laughs> real. Hell yes. <laughs> we got to order us a case. You uh, can. You can order it online. I checked. <laughs> we both do our Moxie research. Let's, let's order a, a six pack. Taste test it live next episode. Done. <laughs> 
So he goes inside to Kennebec and he sees a newspaper, which tells him that it is Tuesday, September 9th, 1958. And he meets Frank Ancietti Sr. and then his son. I, I like this because he we don't know that it's Frank Ancietti Sr. at first. Yeah. He just goes in and he talks about how he knows this place, which is basically a tiny rundown grocery store mm-hmm. that is only open because it sells this rare main <laughs> soda called Moxie that he hates. Uh, <laughs> and it's always been run by Frank Ancietti, who's a colorful character, imagine a shopkeep, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Uh, and when he goes in, he sees him and he sees him and he's like, yep, there he is, same as ever. <laughs> he looks exactly the same and it isn't until... A teenager walks in that he realizes that he has been talking to the Frank Incietti that he knows is father. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He has a really fun exchange with both of them, just kind of setting up, like you said, Ben, like the nostalgia of this time period. (laughs) I have complicated feelings about this. I, I guess I take it as like speaking to Jake's motivate it's like interesting that he a person who wasn't alive during that time Mm -hmm. instantly feels that pull and draw to it and i think that's what makes part of what makes him say okay okay that's there has to be something because for me oh the for me all i read in these segments is king going boy the 50s sure were better in every way did you listen did you (laughs) everyone was so nice to everyone all the time sure sure they were stephen king did you listen to it or read it listen to it okay that's why you think that because that is how what's the name the audiobook guy that's how he reads it everything is like oh in the pc world of 2011 he puts like interesting this this tone in it that when i because i didn't listen i read it before i listened Mm -hmm. to it years ago that when I read it, I did not have. It was just a, I read it in a neutral tone mm. and it didn't irritate the piss out of me. It, it, it started out very like I was rolling my eyes yeah. and being like, oh, everything was perfect. And mm-hmm. boy, it smelled bad, but every it was better in every other way ever. And <laughs> and like, I'd, I'd read it because it takes that. He reads it very okay. sarcastically. Just in those parts, I think he does fine otherwise. I get it's easy yeah. to get past yeah. uh, at a certain point. I just like that you mentioned that because I stopped and read it because I was like, I want to know mm. if this is him or if I'm reading it that way. So after this experience, Jake goes back to the rabbit hole and after a moment of panic, wondering if it's still going to be there, he finds it and he's back with Al. And he's very shaken up and he's like, how long was I gone? Which is where we really understand sort of that first rule that two minutes, man. When you go through, you come out two minutes later, regardless of how much time Mm -hmm. it has been, which is how we learn Al went in, aged several years, and then came out two minutes later with lung cancer. We also find out that each time you go back, it is the same day, same time. The way Al phrases it is that every time is the first time. It is a complete reset. And you can relive each moment the exact same, or you can change how you interact, which kind of changes how it responds to you. And we find out that the only person who seems to know anything maybe is that yellow card man. This is... A cool approach to time travel. Mm -hmm. 
because I don't know about you, you all, if you were given the opportunity to time travel, would you do it? Oh, easily. Yeah. 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 Back in time. Yeah. Fuck no. (laughs) Fuck no. Absolutely not. Everything as we learn, uh, Al is going to mention it, the the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. When you go back, you can change the future. That's what the whole book is about, is we'll learn pretty soon. He is recruiting Jake to very majorly change the future. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Like the whole, you know, we, we mentioned it, would you kill Hitler? Would you save JFK? In though in big cases, watershed moments like that, you could argue that yes, it is worth the risk of changing the future because this one event caused such a monstrous mm-hmm. negative effect on the world that even by massively changing the present, it's worth it because you save millions and millions of lives. But like just walking, imagine just walking out the front door. He went to the Kennebec Fruit Company. What if talking about uh, Shirley Jackson book somehow so hugely impacts mm-hmm. something small in the future that you come back and Al's shop isn't there anymore? Mm-hmm. The like, yeah. and now you're stuck in the past. It's too you know, much of a risk. It's too scary. Yeah, because Al is currently alive in 1958. So if something you changed impacted his life in yeah. some different mm-hmm. way, you could be trapped. Okay, we, first of all, as always, Josh and I are like, yeah, let's do it. Let's bury someone in the cemetery. Let's go back in time. And Ben is the voice of reason. Now we someone have to, has to be. We it's have so to rare for me. <laughs> talk time travel shit, but only for two minutes, no matter okay. how long it takes. I hate you. I love it. Okay, because there is too much that's going to happen in this, and we're not going to have time after this first episode. Get it? We're not going to have time. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't do this just so I could annoy you guys. (laughs) We have a few options here with with what King seems to be pulling from time travel-wise. So Jake can be traveling back in time on a single timeline, which poses a problem if the past has already happened. You can't really change it, and that's why – Oversimplifying, and this is um, David Lewis's Exploration of Time Travel, which is a paper that you can read online. It's really interesting. But he oversimplifies that, which I'm mentioning because King clearly tells us that these aren't the rules he's following when Jake makes a comment about killing your own grandfather. Like, Mm -hmm. what if you go back in time and kill your own grandfather? And Al shuts him down. So that leaves us the multiverse option. Since you can't go back in time and change the past because the past already happened, you're not traveling back in time so much as you're traveling to different timelines, dimensions, whatever name you want to give it. So again, you're not changing the past. You're in a space where things happen differently, which poses an interesting question. Where are Jake and Al returning to? Their original timeline, universe, dimension, an alternate one that follows the new timeline they just created. So is the Al from that timeline one still waiting for Jake? And we do have I, King specifically mentioning the butterfly effect too, which tells us he's operating under the time travel rule of being able to change the past. So I, I like the question of like, where are, are they returning to their original timeline or something? And I like that question because at what point does it matter? Uh, how much do things need to change where if everything is to our senses, identical, but it's not the original 
place that we came from like how much does that matter right it's kind of like um has anybody read the jason pargan's dave you have it. this book is full of spiders yes john dies at the end john dies at the end sorry yeah uh yeah david is the character david long is his pseudonym yes So in like the <laughs> second book, spoilers, if you want to read the book, this book is full of spiders. Uh, if I remember correctly, th- they lose at the end. The- there's a, a, an outbreak of these spiders that burrow into your head and take over your body, but turn you into just, it's like a body snatchers mm-hmm. thing. Where to the outsider and to the person who has the spider in their head, you don't know. That it's happened and you're identical (laughs) and it isn't until someone's like, you're a spider and that they freak out and try to kill you. And at the end, basically the end of that book is like, okay, so it happened. The, the, this invasion happened. Okay. Who do we know that is a spider and who isn't? Are we all spiders? You know what? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Because we're all, like, (laughs) going and looking into it will only cause trouble. So let's not think about it anymore. And that's the end of the book. I fucking love that. It's (laughs) amazing. Okay, so, I'm sorry, back to... Anyway, yeah, what were we talking about? Time travel. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Al wants to tell Jake everything, but he's so sick that he can't. He needs to go home, take his medicine, take a nap. He needs Jake to meet him at his house later that night around 9.30. And Jake's like, I don't know why. Like, I believe you. I just saw this. So, like, you're about to die. You needed someone else to believe this was real. And I do. He can die in peace, basically, is what he's thinking this is all about. But that's not why Al showed him. He has something else in mind, which obviously we know what that is, given the title of the book. But he's not ready to tell Jake that. And Jake does solve one mystery, and that's how Al can sell his famous fat burger for so cheap. <laughs> He's buying meat from the 50s. <laughs> the same, same meat. We can't even. It's the biggest, <laughs> like, how is that possible? And the answer is, who cares? I, well, because it's happening Jake and pees, don't worry about it. He's root beer from the 50s when he gets home. So <laughs> well, we have <laughs> another true, character yeah. pissing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. This would be agony for me. Jake goes home to wait six hours until he can talk to Al again. Tries to nap, can't. Tries to watch TV, can't. Tries to eat, can't. Then around 7 p.m., he goes for a drive. Parks near the Kennebec Fruit Company that is now decrepit, just stares at it. And he feels like 1958 is just right there like behind this veil it's very dark towery that's very cool but it also has the most like okay this isn't jake talking it's just stephen king where he's (laughs) listening to old music from the 50s and he's like it sounds new and i'm like fuck you (laughs) good music was not invented in the 50s i'm sorry uh maybe that's a personal opinion there's there's a moment we kind of skipped over Mm -hmm. when he was back in time that i wanted to bring up which is the feeling he has where he's slowly coming to accept, okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm in the 50s now. All evidence points to that, so I'm just going to react to the stimuli in front of me. (laughs) And he mentions how he's like, my mind, it didn't feel great, but my mind didn't, like, totter. 
I think the human brain, we say a lot in like mm-hmm. horror and movies and stuff, people's, you know, go insane when introduced to bizarre things. But I think the human mind can uh, uh, like withstand mm-hmm. things a lot better than we mm-hmm. give it credit for. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Because cool I always like the idea of a Lovecraft book where no one goes insane. They just go, <laughs> whoa. That thing has That's a lot. Fucked up. I don't like looking at that. <laughs> too that many, like too many tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> Jake, as he's sitting here, he's thinking about Al saying he wants him to do something that he himself can no longer do, telling him that he had stayed four years, but it wasn't enough. And he thinks about whether he's willing to basically miss out on four years of his life since only two minutes will have passed when he comes back. And he realizes here he wants to go back. He feels strangely nostalgic. That was the moment that stood out to me. Yes. Is that he said it was four years and it still wasn't long enough. So what? how much longer and is he willing to drop five years of his life, six yeah. years of his life before he knows? And we we come to understand that Al's running out of time in more than one way here in this next scene because Jake finally goes to Al's and he's looking a little healthier. The drugs and the sleep helped. And he tells Jake that not only is he sick and that's putting a limit on things, but his lease is up at the end of the month. He doesn't own that property and it's being sold to put up an Al Bean. And Jake's like, okay, well, what's going to happen to the rabbit hole if the place gets torn down? And I was like, I don't know. It'll probably, you know, it's probably fragile and it'll just disappear. And in Jake's head, he's imagining something way more violent. And Al's just sort of beyond caring about things like that, like things he cannot answer right now and jokingly offers to deed the place over to Jake. And he's like, you can go tell him that you have to preserve this historic time tunnel, which leads to a very dark train of thought for Jake. Imagine the shop getting a hold of that portal. Mm. Yes. Send some guys in the past to do whatever they want. See, that's uh, why I would be terrible at time travel is because I, I would like I'd bring a, a gun. <laughs> <laughs> like I like I would I'd travel if I could travel to the future first, I'd go to the future mm. and get like super body armor. And then I'd take weapons and I'd go to the past and I'd just hang out. You'd be Booster Gold? Yeah, I would absolutely. I'd sign autographs and everything. <laughs> yeah, I'd be Booster Gold. <laughs> so Jake suddenly realizes at that dark thought what Al wants him to do. And he's like, nope, <laughs> not, not going to do that. And Al's like, sit down and chill out. And he knows he's going to because Al's like, I can't force you to go back and even if I could I can't force you to do what I'm asking you to do while you're back there how much damage could a team of first of all because the the government uh, they say you know imagine the CIA getting Mm -hmm. a hold of this and sending the operatives back they could only do it once true Mm -hmm. or they'd have to send a dozen guys we don't know what happens if (gasps) Jake goes in and then someone goes in before he comes back yeah, I was just going to ask that. Oh, like, what shit. if multiple people go in? Not not brought up in the book. So don't worry about it. Well, and it can't, it's not brought up because, because I thought about this a lot. I'd be like, Al, like you're, Al you're going with me. So Because so, the second so guy would restart time to where a point in time where Jake didn't go through, it would just erase shit. him from existence. Yeah. Langoliers mm-hmm. his ass into non-existence. Yeah. Yeah. But Al being sick and not being able to go with him kind of. If you don't think about it too much, yeah. makes that a moot point. Anyway, yeah. It's, <laughs> what if they yeah. hold hands? <laughs> <laughs> so Jake stops 
himself from leaving and sits down to listen, but has the thought, the devil's voice is sweet. <laughs> At the end of every paragraph, Stephen King is like, this is fucked. <laughs> this is where we get the title to part one, Watershed Moment, because Al's explaining to Jake his idea. and I love this whole description. Take us through it. it. Watershed moments being these pivotal moments in history that the fallout changed everything. His prime example being the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, which caused World War One, and then, of course, uh, killing baby Hitler. <laughs> Both of those things are outside of their reach because they can only go as far back as 1958. So... Taking those off the table, there's 9-11, but then you'd have to, he'd be 80 years by the time mm. he got that. So the only watershed moment within their reach is the assassination of JFK. And the details he goes into describing what the possible ripples could be yes. is so immense. It made me understand why conspiracy theorists are yes. so mm. into this subject <laughs> Because I didn't realize how much it really did touch. The, yeah, let's... It, it's also, uh, we won't get there until the end of the book, uh, but it is something, one of the reasons I have a slight problem with the end of the book. So we'll, we will get okay. back to that in pin. eight episodes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long book, y'all. So once the Kennedy assassination is on the table, Jake's like, what if it goes wrong? What if, you know, I come back and things are worse? And I was like, well, then you go back in and it resets. And then Jake counters, okay, what if I, ch what if the changes I make is so big that the diner isn't here anymore? And I was like, would it be so bad to be stuck in the past? You don't have a family. Your job is not really challenging. And you wouldn't have to worry about money. You can bet on sports. Back to the Future 2 style. <sighs> Marty McFly mm. book. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I'll ask Jake, you know, this is where he's talking about the butterfly effect and Jake's like, okay, what if I kill, you know, you go back in time and kill your own grandfather. And I was like, why the hell would you do that? And Jake's like, <laughs> okay, fair point. That's what I meant by Stephen King, like Al shutting him down. And Jake is afraid of how big this is. And Al speculates that saving JFK's life will mean that Robert isn't at the Ambassador Hotel in 68. Martin Luther King isn't in Memphis in 68. The race riots it's don't a happen. big jump. Fred Hampton doesn't get shot. No Patty Hearst kidnapping. Johnson is in an office to escalate things in Vietnam. And Jake's like, hold on, dude. I'm an English major, not a historian. <laughs> and Al's like, basically, the effects of this one change is going to save millions of lives. And Jake counters again, like, how do you know for sure that it was Oswald? And Al tells him, I've done my homework. I'm pretty sure it's him. And I've met him. Yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I understand Al doesn't want to kill an innocent person. Well, you can reset it. But but at his wrong. core, <laughs> Al's not a murderer. Yeah. And I think that's the the problem. I wish Al was a murderer, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Uh because he he says that he wanted to make it until 60 what was it? Uh April of 63 when Oswald makes an assassination attempt using the same rifle that he will use in the presidential assassination. And his proof was going to be, if I can know that it's for sure him that did this first one, then I can take him out. It'll make me like 98% sure. And yeah. I'm okay with 98%. And the uh, the idea, when you think back to the birth of serial killers, how many of them mm. were able to move cross country and mm. uh, police didn't 
know anything because they couldn't. It just, it's just so easy. You just travel down to wherever Lee Harvey Oswald is and kill him and head back. I mean, it takes a few years because he's in, he's overseas yeah, he's not in the at country. the time. I thought about that. <laughs> I thought about that a lot. I mean, Al has an explanation. We can yeah. believe it or not. But yeah, it's a very fair point. Just a, an easy way to quick check. Well, because Jake's like, okay, you met him. You saw that he was an asshole and he's abusive to his wife. Why didn't you just shoot him right there in the street? And I was like, I'm not fond of the electric chair. And I don't think I could shoot a guy in front of his wife and baby, no matter how awful he is. I get that. I, but at the same time, reset. Yeah. Well, but he'd have to get from Texas to Maine. That's true. He's, yeah, he's just not bold enough yeah. if for he, murder. If he could get, <laughs> honestly, if he could get out of Texas after killing him, he'd yeah. probably be fine. Through this conversation, Al addresses the conspiracy theories, which I thought was really neat. What did you guys think of how he explains why there are so many? Because Jake's like, again, how do you know for sure it was him? Because a lot of people are saying a lot of different things. Yeah, he he explains that like the equation doesn't add up. Uh, if you put JFK, all of the good he did and all of the good he could have continued to do, it makes more, you know, we want to believe in this grand, like, oh, of course, there were these shadowy forces, these uh, world-spanning villains that were uh, behind it. It doesn't make sense that it was just some goober from Texas that killed it because he was a sad, angry man. He's unimportant. The The conspiracies are a way of being like, Reconciling well, it that. can't possibly yeah. be that this was just a random, horrible thing. I don't know how accurate this information is, but I remember hearing that it's been like since revealed that part of the reason the assassination happened the way it did is because Secret Service was hung over as fuck. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. There was like a whole thing about like <laughs> they were all out and so people did not do the jobs they were supposed to do. So honestly, instead of killing Lee Harvey Oswald, just go out and make sure Secret Service doesn't party. Party on, <laughs> Next, Al gives Jake his journal, which has everything he knows about Oswald in it. And Al's plan is for Jake to kill him months before after he confirms that he does have it in him to attempt to kill someone at least. And Al is running out of energy. So he tells Jake to read the journal and then gives him a key to the diner just in case he dies in his sleep at any point. And Jake is about to leave when Al's like, oh, hold on. For Wait, first... I did do a test run of sorts, which he describes to Jake. This Man, is fucked yeah. up, you guys. Al did some research and he found an incident wherein uh, there was a hunting accident. A man was out hunting. He shot and the bullet missed its target. Also didn't hit a single tree, branch, anything. Flew all the way into uh, this young girl's spine and paralyzed her. And he used that as a test case and decided he was going to go out and stop that from happening and says that this is when we get the, uh, the, what is it? Uh, the past is obdurate. Is that the obdurate, word? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't want to be changed because he found out where it was and he even left early to get to that place. Hours early. Hours, but he had two flat tires at one point. And then the bridge was out. That was his direct The path. bridge had f- collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> And then he takes another route and he ends up being in front of a fallen tree. But as luck would have it, somebody comes up behind him and it's Andrew Cullum. Yeah, the guy who shoots the the girl. And so he ends up faking a heart attack 
to get that guy to take him to the hospital. So he never went hunting that day. And that girl didn't get paralyzed. It all ties to Kennedy, too, in an interesting way, because he's like, you know, Oswald's first assassination attempt failed because the bullet hit the like the wood in the Mm -hmm. window. Mm -hmm. But this bullet traveled like a quarter of a mile, could have hit trees, branches to change its trajectory. Nope. Hit her and paralyzed her. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's that thought that makes him feel like, okay, I found this rabbit hole for a reason. Because at first he was content just to get cheap supplies and make people not come to his diner because he can't price things evenly. <laughs> but now he's like, oh, there's a purpose. And maybe JFK is that purpose. Yeah. It's it's when he hands Jake the newspaper clipping mm-hmm. of her in the wheelchair getting her diploma. I and- love the way that this oh. goes yeah. about describing the each time is the first time. Mm-hmm. This is like our big like uh, explaining, okay, this is exactly what this means because he explains he went through all of this work to save this girl and when she came back she he did a bunch of research and found that she graduated a year earlier because she hadn't been shot and mm-hmm. didn't take an extra year to recover and there she was healthy not paralyzed and Jake goes but she's in a wheelchair so what happened in this picture it fucking like, got me <laughs> oh well each time's the first time so when i went every time i went back it would reset and she would get paralyzed again she's like Oh, so when you went back and he's like, well, no, I did it a second time, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I did it again. Yeah, when he went back to stop Oswald, he had to first save her. Yeah. And Jake's like, but then why is she in the wheelchair? And Al just looks at him. Because you had a root beer today. Oh, that's killer. That's me. Yeah. (laughs) That's killer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, did you enjoy that root beer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. By the way. Which is unfair. But. So, which is another, it's kind of manipulative now that manipulative. I think about it. Yeah. Because it's like, well, He's are, are you going to go back in time and do the Oswald thing? Because at the very least, you could save these girls' legs. Right? Or like, don't make her being paralyzed again now for nothing. Yeah. Because yeah. Jake doesn't give a fuck about her legs. As we'll find <laughs> out. So we wrap up this conversation and Jake goes home to think. He thinks about Carolyn and Al saying he put her back in the wheelchair. He wonders... If that's true, because maybe the rabbit hole creates alternate realities or time streams. And then he goes to bed thinking about Harry. And when he wakes up the next morning, he's had an epiphany. This is where we get more detail about Harry's story, because Jake's remembering, you know, what he finds the paper again. He saved it. He remembers what was written. And he's calls up Al and he's like, you I need you to read something for me before I decide. It's fucking brutal. Mm -hmm. His father murdered his entire family with a hammer mm-hmm. and the only reason that he survived is he had to go to the bathroom before going out trick-or-treating and came back to discover all of their bodies and his dad chased him down chased him under the bed hit him in the leg in the head which is why he limps and why he's the only reason it didn't kill him is because though there was so much blood on the handle of the hammer that it slipped mm-hmm. when he swung at him. Like, that's so awful. And Jake, fairly here, because I was a dick the night before, was like, no offense, and I'm not criticizing you, but you saving this girl from an accident isn't a really good test because it didn't really change anything. Like, she was unmarried, she remained unmarried. Yeah, she lives in a different town and has different interactions with people. But what does that really change in the grand scheme of things? I really like that point. Mm -hmm. And Jake's point is, 
how big would this be? Like, I'd be saving this family, like multiple lives here. And that would change a lot more than someone no longer being paralyzed. And Jake asks if he saves them, if the picture of Harry and Al's diner will still be there. And Al's like, will I even remember it being there in the first place when you come back through? And Jake, like me, can't really process this. (laughs) So he ignores it. Okay, super duper important thing we already mentioned. This tragedy happened in Derry. Ugh. Jake gets a crash course in the 50s. Very, very crash. <laughs> yeah. And Al brings out a tin box with some things that are going to make Jake's time in the past a little more comfortable. Oh, did you also like that he mentions that the incident happened in Derry and then when he recovered, he moved to his grandparents in Haven? So get another Stephen King town. (laughs) I missed that. Good catch. Okay, I never carry cash with me, so I didn't think about how you can't just go rolling back to 1958 with the change in your pocket. (laughs) Or your debit card. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or your cell phone, Jake. (laughs) It's just a Nokia. (laughs) Yeah, who cares? (laughs) Al gives him his savings from when he spent four years there. He was working as a cook, just saving up while he's waiting for Oswald to be in the right place. And he gives him his new identity, which he had created, so... He's really on top of things. Jake is now George Amberson. But if it's okay with you guys, I'll keep calling him Jake. Yeah. So this whole time they're making small talk, which mostly illustrates how Jake's still wrapping his mind around what's about to happen because he keeps asking Al, like from Al's perspective, kind of dumb questions. He's like, (laughs) dude, it's the 50s. You can't do that. (laughs) And you're going to have to like get your hair cut. Mm. and dress a little bit differently. Yeah. And you can't take your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that. Like, you know, I got all that shit in my backpack. Do not carry a fucking backpack around the 50s. <laughs> and if people ask too many questions, you get stuck in trying to explain something, just fall back on having a rich uncle that you inherited money from. Or, you know, say it's a business thing. Say you're in real estate because that explains everything in the 50s. And he also gives him the sports book. I don't know what that's called, from 58 to 63 so he can make some bets. And he's like, don't let this get out of your hands because oh, what would happen then? And that's when I would be like, well, I'm not taking that. I well, can't. I can't It would take make that. Biff really powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he'd be the president <laughs> Biff would instead be the of president. Kennedy. Yeah. Jake realizes that not only is he doing this, but he's doing it right now. No time to prepare. He gets scared. I really like this moment. And he's like, can you come down to the diner with me? Because I'm really scared. And Al's like, yes. And it's, <laughs> it's just sweet. Jesus, spend an afternoon on Wikipedia at least. I Fuck. know. When that dawns on him later that he's like, oh, I could have done so much research yeah. before this. He doesn't know their, his, Harry's parents' names yeah. or where they lived. It, but it's also <laughs> like, I also Fucking didn't think idiot. about it because I was so laser focused on like, yeah, we got to do this test case. Like, Speaking this is of where people making dumbass decisions. Yes. What the fuck is Al's problem? When he's, in, <laughs> when he's describing his, his cancer diagnosis, mm. he was like, yeah, I got diagnosed with lung cancer. And then I hung around for a while before I came back. (laughs) What do you mean? He went to the doctors in the 50s and they were like, we can't operate. And he's like, well, I guess I guess if they can't operate now when (laughs) medical technology is at its peak. When could they? Yeah, I thought he like was trying to stay to finish it and then got. So sick so quickly. That's, I, that's the what only he was banking on, I think. Yeah, because it'd be really hard to throw away those years Four of years. your life. 
to well, and again, unless I you think, absolutely had to. I think he didn't think he could make coming back, getting well, Recovering and then another and then five yeah. years. So well, he, he has but to, he said he was already thinking of Jake for this. So why come back, get well, train Jake, <laughs> <laughs> do a couple well, test well, runs? Yeah. But they only have till the end of the month because the diner is going to be sold. It only takes two minutes. Not well, to not that training. <laughs> well, they have to train him in 1950. Okay, anyway, yeah. we got to move on. So they reach the diner, and Al tells him a, f- a few more helpful hints, gives him a little bit of guidance while crying, because he's also <laughs> scared. It's big, and they both know it. And Al reminds him, this fucked me up, you guys, that for him, Jake will be back in two minutes, no matter how long this takes. And that is just enough time for him to start the coffee maker. Mm-hmm. I would have vomited in fear. <laughs> I would have just started puking. This this is what made it so real for me because it's like, my brain doesn't want to. <laughs> so even though Jake is scared, he's excited too. He is nostalgic again for simpler times and in a way that we see bits of here and there. It's not huge to the story, but I think it does give his character motivation in a, in a slightly smoother way because like, yeah, why would he care? Mm-hmm. History is history. As Jake enters the rabbit hole we end our part one what a cliffhanger (laughs) oh god this book hits so hard and i'm so into it (laughs) yeah it's pretty good i'm like (laughs) i've i don't remember how much more we get of the yellow card man because i know at the top of the next section we're going to get to him a little bit more but i do remember because have you guys watched the series no i have not okay i can't remember if it's how they do it, but I remember that in the series they try to explicitly explain the yellow card man, and I don't remember oh, I don't how that works. That. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm I'm curious to see if I can extrapolate from the reading why they did what mm. they did in the series. Now that I know to look for it, mm. so that's that's my uh, homework assignment for myself for this episode. <laughs> But that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode, where we will be covering through part two. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Kahn reminding you, a good life is never wasted. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to part one of 112263. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Dairy Public Radio and Instagram at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com because we love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our Etsy store for cool merchandise and our Patreon page for bonus episodes. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.